It's time for Business Minds Coffee Chat, an inspiring show about the journey to personal and professional growth. And now, your host, Jay Shear. Hey everyone, you're listening to Business Minds Coffee Chat, and I am your host, Jay Shear. And my gosh, I'm excited today. I have got a special guest joining me in the studio. It is the one and only David Alfin. David is the mayor of Palm Coast. He's a community leader. He has served many an organization, and he's had several successful careers, including the fragrance industry, becoming a Boar's Head distributor, and, of course, a real estate professional, David it is great to see you. Thank you so much for being here today. Good morning. That's a hard, uh, a hard intro to follow. But uh, you know, when you're following a silver-throated thrush like you are with your radio voice, I will do my best to keep up. But uh, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, well, the opportunity to be on this show because this show is very much about how we can look at the future in both an optimistic and I think in a positive way. And I'm very much aligned with the half full mentality. Well, I know you are. And we look forward to exploring that a bit more deeply here and maybe getting to know some things about you, David, that aren't always readily available in either the news or just in conversation. And there's so much to you as a human being that I think is important for us to explore here. One of the things that I found when I was researching you is that your your father, Erwin, was the CEO of Chanel and also the president of Max Factor. And I'm, I'm curious, there's a couple things I want to explore there. One is having of a father with that type of corporate responsibility and rising through the ranks in some big corporations like that. What were some of the key lessons that you took away from him and what did he mean to you beyond being your father? When you think about him today, what are some things that come so, to mind? When I was a, a young kid um, learning not to pick up the phone at 4 a.m. when Charles Revson, the president and owner of Revlon, would call at 4 a.m. on a Saturday morning, who was probably from a novel or textbook description, one of the meanest, nastiest, but most righteous executives of that era of time. That would have been back in the 1960s, let's say. And um, he was obviously incredibly successful, but I do remember picking up the phone and uh, and talking to folks like that. But to your question, so my dad um, was a Korean war vet. He came back from Korea. He was a uh, he was given the uh, the Bronze Star for heroism. Came back and moved his family immediately to Saint Petersburg, Florida where he took a job because the job paid a dollar more a week or something than the other job. And he became a salesman in the state of Florida for women's fashion to the carriage trade. And what that means is to the small boutique women's dress shops that existed in Florida. Now, let me give you the year in the mid 1950s. Now you need to understand something. So now you're a salesman in a car in Florida before 95 is built, 
going from big town to big town to sell dresses to these stores and having to worry about traveling from one town to another, you would always go with a partner in the car because in those days, you couldn't get out of the car if you had to go by the side of the road without somebody watching your back because there was a lot of stuff crawling around that would have you for dinner. So I did have occasion as a young kid to travel with him around the state of Florida before it's the state of Florida that we know today. But to summarize it all, my father, um, without exception, was my best and most difficult mentor throughout my life. And he was both hard, demanding, but I learned more from him than any other single person. So give us an example of what you, you use the word hard and mm-hmm. demanding. So give us an example of what that uh, Very like. simple. I had uh, been a bit of a, uh, certainly not a hippie. I was on the other side of that, but a renegade and wasn't willing to join our family business right up front. So I'm an engineer. I went to uh, work as an engineer designing perfume bottles for a company in Baltimore. And I did that for five years and I was really quite successful. I found that being an engineer unfortunately for me, it was a little bit boring. I got into marketing and eventually became the assistant plant manager for the second largest um, uh, employed factory in all of Baltimore before the renaissance of Baltimore. So I, in a young age, had uh, a pretty big ego and I look what what I've done. We had our first child. That was uh, David Joseph, born in Baltimore. And, you know, have a family now and my dad made us an offer that I just couldn't refuse because we're looking at the future now and what it costs and everything. So, okay, time to join the family business. So moved back to uh, to New York. That's where the, the, the business was located. And sure enough, he told me what my first day of work was going to be. So after being the assistant plant manager for 1,200 employees – um, working the day shift, ending the third shift, starting the second shift, um, and you know, all full of myself, he said, okay, well, you will now be a picker and packer in our distribution warehouse. So I went from the top to the bottom and from then on worked in every single department and division within the company until eventually I became the national sales manager for North America, eventually the president of our international division after many years. But he had a method. He had a reason and he was um, um, willing to share all that he knew and be both a father and a demanding executive. And that's no easy combination. In a family business, it's 24-7, like it or not. There's no vacation. Vacation means you're going to a duty-free area where you have customers. So it's 24-7. The dinner table, whenever you're together, is somehow related to business. Now, don't get me wrong. I was a member of the fragrance and fashion industry, which was an accessory of the fashion business during its heyday when travel was wonderful, the places we went were exotic, and I was just blessed with being able to travel the world for a career to 62 countries on a regular basis for 20 years. You just don't get that opportunity. Absolutely. So I, 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 I am thankful and I, and I pray those kind of thanks every day to have been afforded such an experience. So 
with the world travel that you've done and with the experiences that you had at that stage, how, how many languages are you able to speak today? So today I'm, I'm pretty good with, uh, let's say, French, um, uh, Spanish, and English, um, a few words in some others. But those were, in my day, the key languages. And I learned them from a business perspective because my job was really negotiating business and marketing contracts with distributors in other countries. Mm. So it gives you a different perspective on it's not, um, you know, polite uh, uh, dinner table language. It's business language. So I did uh, I did pretty well with those. Um, and, and also a big part of our business, believe it or not, in that day was the Middle East. So I had a tremendous experience uh, and spent a lot of time in the Middle East because believe it or not, one of the meccas of the fragrance and cosmetic industry was in the Middle East, um, which, you know, to be able to go there at that point in time, this is, you know, this is when Kuwait was big before Dubai came on board. There was a war in between and we had very close associations with folks there. So very, very interesting. Oh, that is very interesting. So. Let's speak about your your mother for a moment. So you've described a bit about your your dad, the relationship there. What about your mom? What what so is something that you my, a key lesson that you took away from your mom that you still carry with so you today? My, my mother's family uh, hailed from New Jersey, but arrived with the very first settlers in the early 1600s from Dutch descent. The Dutch can be a little bit. Mm, uh, what, what would be the right, well, something other than jovial, <laughs> stern, let's say. So comes from a, a, a farming background, um, through generations. And, um, she actually, uh, was my father's classmate in grade school. No And kidding. their relationship, uh, went on from there all the way until marriage and, and they celebrated, uh, you know, a, you know, a 50 year wedding anniversary and on and on. So my mother. My mother was uh, uh, quite an attractive woman. While my father was in Korea, and I was born, uh, you know, uh, Fort Dix while he was away, um, uh, she was actually a fashion model, a runway model on 7th Avenue, and used to, uh, you know, commute to the city to do that kind of work. When we moved to Florida, which is where I grew up in St. Petersburg, she continued to uh, pursue her modeling career and also started some retail business. But I was a little guy, and I would be her partner in some photo shoots. So I actually still remember that. And I remembered how hard work that is um, to stand right, in the right place, at the right time um, to be a, a mini model. How about that? <laughs> you, you, weren't a, you weren't a Gerber baby, were you? I was not. Uh, okay. Nothing of the sort. Uh, <laughs> if anything, uh, a left-handed uh, um, um, Awkward as any other kid. Um, I was a big sports fan. Um, I was the the captain of my wrestling team, the captain of my soccer team. Um, you know, I carried that forward a little bit in college. Um, and I enjoyed high school. I enjoyed school in particular. And uh, I did well. I have one younger sister, and I kind of cut a, a nice path for her. She um, um, spent a career as an attorney. She was the assistant DA in Concord, New Hampshire, and her husband was the DA in Concord, New Hampshire. Mm. Her husband actually became the number two seat um, at the world court um, at The Hague and um, uh, served as the second seat on the Milosevic trial. 
at which he was convicted, but uh, committed suicide before the uh, the penalty was uh, was carried out. But I always admired him because he actually had to learn French because business at the Hague is conducted in French, and he had to learn French as an attorney, legal, to take the job, and he did it. In a relatively short period of time, I always admired that. That's incredible. Just out of curiosity, since you loved school, what was your favorite subject? What did you feel your your biggest strength? So, was as an time? engineer, um, you know, I enjoyed uh, many of the more specific engineering topics. You know, fluid mechanics and uh, uh, mechanical engineering was was really my specialty. Um, um, I enjoyed the camaraderie. Um, you know, while in school, I was also a bartender at uh, Dr. Watson's in Philadelphia, which uh, folks that are familiar with Philly, that was one of the watering holes. And I loved the marketing of it because as bar manager, I got to run afoul of the LCB, the Liquor Control Board in Philadelphia, by running ads on special discounted prices for students at a, at a campus bar and learn how you have to um, follow the rules. Um, but we had a, a 50 keg night one night, which is good, except uh, the bar manager ends up having to carry the kegs out of the basement to get them hooked up to keep serving those pitchers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's pretty That's a great story. Well, we are going to take a quick break here, David, to thank our amazing sponsors. Don't you go anywhere. You're listening to Business Minds Coffee Chat. We've got plenty more coming up with David Alvin. There's no business like show business like no business I know. Visit the Fitzgerald Performing Arts Center at Flagler Auditorium. We're about to release our new season of professional touring shows. Visit our website at flaglerentertainment.com. Sign up for our newsletter. You can be the first to know about our shows and special offers. And remember, every time you buy a ticket to a show, you support the performing arts in Flagler schools and you support our local economy. All right, we're back. And again, you're listening to Business Minds Coffee Chat, and I'm in the studio today with my special guest, David Alfin. We're having a fantastic conversation, learning a lot about David's uh, background, his origin story, and some things that maybe we didn't quite know or that we'd really have to look very hard to find. So enjoying this conversation. So David, what is your favorite thing about yourself? Your favorite thing. So favorite thing about myself um, is that I have an insatiable desire and ability to learn and to turn away any idea that I can't overcome or accomplish something. Now, you have to be realistic, but the only thing in my life now that tells me that I can't do a thing is probably age. I think I'm getting to an age where some of the opportunities that are out there are more limited because you get to a certain age and and you're just too old to do it. So I have always felt and continue to feel that there, if I put my mind to it and weigh in all the way, and I never, ever give up or quit once I commit to something, um, you know, I give a word and I, and I stick to it. I mean, I'm here today after having um, had to ask you to change our schedule, but, but I'm here because I, I keep my word. But knowing that there is nothing out there that I couldn't find a way 
to accomplish or overcome. And that's, it's not an ego thing. It's more about my bar has no ceiling. There is no height that I can't push my bar to. Now, the higher you go, the harder it gets. You have to be realistic, but I'm unwilling to, um, to admit or to kowtow or to bend over and say, I just can't do that. Well, let's, um, let's, let's continue yeah. on that, that thread for a moment. So with that said, first of all, I think that's, that's an incredible mindset to have, right? And a lot of that has to do with building confidence and just continuing to do the work and showing yourself that when I put in the reps, when I put in the effort, when I decide that I'm going to learn a new skill, whatever it happens to be, that I can do it, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's going to stop me. The only thing that's going to get in the way is me. Correct. Right. So give us, is there anything that as you look back over your life to this point, is there anything that you felt like you wanted to do that you decided I'm not going to do that something that you just, you, you cut the cord and said, no, not can't, can't do it. Not going to do it. So you, the best example is, so uh, my mother in particular, but my folks, um, they own some uh, retail stores in St. Petersburg way back in the day. They sold uh children's clothing um, and uh, um, teenage clothing because there weren't a lot of outlets for that. And my father also um, owned a toy store. So that'll play in a minute. So they had a great desire for me to learn how to play the piano. So we did have a, a little upright at home and I took piano lessons on Saturday. Now, for whatever reason, don't ask me why. I hated it. I fought it. I went and I learned how to play. Maybe I'm left-handed. That's not good. I don't know. And my mother told me, you know, you're going to regret this. It's like when you, and she used to make me play when they had folks over for parties and all that kind of stuff. And she always would say, you know, if you don't, if you stop this, you're going to regret it because there'll be a time when you'll wish you could be in the middle and playing the piano. I have to be honest. I didn't pursue it and I've never regretted it. Are you serious? <laughs> I am. Now, that doesn't mean I don't look at fine piano players with envy, but it's not something that ever fit for me. And, and I don't know why. There's just no good reason for it. I mean, they had to literally you know, bribe me. So if you go have a good piano lesson, uh, come back to the toy store and, and you could probably pick something out today. So oh, that is so funny. So I, I had a similar experience. Okay. So I was quasi forced to take piano lessons in my youth Uh hated it Uh couldn't stand the teacher couldn't stand being behind the piano and my exact same thing to me that you're going to regret it one day if you quit well i quit and i do regret it right there have been so many times and i and i am a musician i play multiple other instruments but there have been so many times that i would love to have been able to sit behind the piano and write a song or play for my wife or play at a party something like that and uh, so So, yeah so that's where we differ so i can tell you that i have no musical ability whatsoever so I don't believe God, that. No, it's true. So I, bet, I bet God, if I gave you some spoons right now, God you could play is all-knowing, and, and I listen to God, and I pray to God frequently. God is clear with me that when I enter the church, that's it. You do not sing. You can lip sync if you want, but don't let anything come out of your mouth. 
So I am very quiet and very apologetic, but I don't sing in church because I have no musical ability. Well, I can tell you that uh, that one of your children definitely got some uh, some incredible music ability. So and and she, now now so you don't know the rest. So that's our local gal that does sing. Um, you know our um, 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 uh, songs at the beginning of events, which is uh, you know very patriotic. She does very well. And she's, you know, has a, a much bigger repertoire than that. But so her older siblings, which would be my three boys, okay, my oldest son, who is a uh, detective in uh, South Florida, um, was the number one youth clarinetist in the state of Florida in high school. He actually won a um, um, a what do you get when you go to college? A scholarship, scholarship or, okay. to the Boca Raton Music Conservatory, which is a big thing in the day. He went for a year and he said, you know, Dad, it's like I like to play and I'm good at it, but I find that there seems to be more politics than music and bolted and went ended up graduating from FSU. My second son also was a um, awarded um, clarinetist. And my third son uh, played the tuba. So all three had a, a desire and, 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 and a musical ability. Um, so it, perhaps like allergies, it skips generations. Skip mine, went to theirs. I'm very happy about that. My oldest still plays in a police band, if you will, and enjoys that. Amazing. How about your, your wife? Does she have that, that musical? No, uh, Tammy uh, um, does not. I think she... She loves music. She appreciates it. She listens to it. Um, but she never followed any kind of a uh, an instrument or vocal training of any kind. Okay. So uh, Melanie uh, found this on her own. So that's God's work. Ah, that's, that's beautiful. So as we talk about overcoming obstacles and challenges that we all face in life, whether it's personally or professionally, sometimes we – can get stuck in those situations. So when you're confronted with life's biggest challenges, what are some of the things that you specifically do to be able to manage and move through adversity? Good good question. And I I think I do have an answer. So I'll go back to my mentor, uh, one of my mentors. I have many mentors. I'll go back to my dad. One of my dad's sayings to me was, and I remember when he said it to me. He actually said it to me at the Karachi airport, which is not a nice place. But um, he said, when you've made a decision to move forward, whatever it is, <clears throat> you lift your head up and you walk through the door briskly and let nothing slow you down or get in your way. Attack it, grab it, move forward and go get it. And I find that a lot of what we do to ourselves is we, using procrastination usually as a device, we find a way to discourage the energy that we might first have with whatever the task or the challenge might be. If you just charge forward within reason, you will be in the situation where you're going to perform at your best. It's in you. You have to at least have the confidence to know that it's there. People then will start to, well, what if I can't find out where it is at that moment? It will come. You have to put yourself out. So you do a lot of public speaking. Many people have a great fear of public speaking. So go through when you first started. 
you think about a lot of weird stuff like what do you think they're thinking about? But after a while, you understand that you can connect with an audience. You can figure out that you want them to leave the room with one to three things that you've said. You want them to engage and have a a brief um, relationship with you. And then you start to, when you're speaking to an audience, you start to make contact. You look at different individuals in the crowd for different reasons. One of the tricks I had, which gets you past that, which I would share, is that whenever I'm giving what I consider an important uh, presentation, it's like I will make sure I get to the room early for two reasons. One, I will actually walk wherever it is I'm going to walk. So that I don't ever have to worry about where I'm supposed to be and when. If I have to climb up a riser, get in front of a mic, I don't have to worry about that. I've already done it. I know what it looks like. The other thing I do, I will get as close to the doorway as I can and I will greet as many people as I can on the way in. And this is what I learned in the fragrance and cosmetic business, which is, you know, you're really selling, if you will, smoke in a bottle, which was the description by a famous uh, Frenchman whose name was uh, Hubert Givenchy. Um, and that's what he would tell his salespeople. This is a hard thing. You're selling smoke in a bottle. I thought that's great. Um, but training is what the fragrance and cosmetic business is all about. So one of the tricks of the trade was f- see your audience, get, get to know them in advance of your presentation, connect with a few people because maybe during your presentation, there'll be a good reason to mention so-and-so or somebody that you made a connection with. You have invited the audience in. One of the things, if you observe our sheriff, who is a consummate public speaker, you never feel that he's in front of the room and the audience is in front of him. True. What you always feel is that he's in a roundtable discussion. He's in the center and the audience is around him. No matter where he is or what the physical setup actually is, that's what you'll get from him. That's how personable and how well he works with his residence. I, l- I love that. And, and you're so right there. So David, if you were able to have a conversation with anyone that is either alive or no longer with us, and you could ask that person only one question, first, who would it be that you would want to have that conversation with? And second, what would the question be? Well, I know this will sound very strange, um, and, and there are a few to come to mind, but I have to rely on my engineering. I would want to speak to Sir Isaac Newton, and I'd like to know what happened in his head when he was able to formulate the law of gravity. And I'm sure that's not very interesting to a lot of people, but I think back in that day, having no reference text, having no iPhone to Google, it's like, how could a man think of such an incredibly important principle that became one of the foundational pillars of all we know today in technology. Um, How could that possibly happen? So that would be one. There are also some early founding fathers that I would have questions for how those men composed a document, which is our constitution. Um, Under the circumstances, they did it with the limited experiences they had because remember in those days everything was quite provincial i mean they didn't travel the world and they didn't have social media or anything else how they wrote a a a beautiful piece of work that has 
built a country that is, in our opinion, obviously the best in the world is is beyond me. If I could only have been a uh, a fly or a mosquito in those days on the wall to understand how that possibly could have happened, because I promise you that that was not an easy task, and they didn't all get along. I mean, if you think that uh, our city of Palm Coast or Flagler County um, uh, dais debates are strong, I promise you. There was a lot of mead flowing in those days as well, and I'm sure that you're not hearing the whole story. Oh, that is that is so true. Two great questions. David, as we wrap up our conversation, I would love it if you would share a challenge with our listeners and with me. What would you challenge all of us to do? Here's what I would challenge. And somebody – and I, I, I guess it's anonymous at this point in time. I don't really remember the source. But somebody told me something, which I will never forget, that take a minute, take an hour, take a day, think of how many things, little and big, but especially little, other people have given you, offered you, shared with you. The list would be longer than you could actually ever write. Now, think about how much you could possibly ever pay back. And you will very quickly realize you will never be able to pay back all that you have been given. So do make that effort to understand that and do what you can to engage, to contribute, and to be a good citizen in whatever way you define it. Don't let anybody define it for you. But do understand that you are what you are today because others have helped you get there. That's a great one. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. And David, thank you so much for joining us today on Business Minds Coffee Chat. I appreciate you sharing part of your story and sharing your your insights with us. It's been a great conversation, and I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Always a pleasure, and uh, good luck to you on the show. I appreciate that very much. And for all of you, thank you so much for tuning into Business Minds Coffee Chat. We'll be back next Saturday morning at 830. And until then, keep learning and growing and keep working to reach your potential. Take care, everybody. Bye.